Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Debrief. Did a recently appointed cardinal say that World Youth Day isn't about evangelization? What should we do with our hands during the Lord's Prayer? And we'll wrap with some tips for trolls on Catholic Twitter. All this in just a moment as we invite Mike to the show. Hi, hey, Dominic. Mike, and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Back again. Now we're on a Monday schedule. We'll see how long this lasts before uh, things fall apart. Well, at the very least, it's a recap of everything crazy that went down over the weekend. So, friends, The Debrief is our weekly show where we're talking about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic DeSouza, founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the founder, co-founder and editor of the website Where Peter Is. So we have a uh, controversy here. World Youth Day and Evangelization, some Catholic news sites picked up on a statement made by a future cardinal, Bishop Americo Aguiar of Lisbon, during an interview on Portuguese television. The bishop who's in charge of organizing World Youth Day, which will be held in just a couple of weeks, he's quoted as saying, we don't want to convert the young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church or anything like that at all. That seems like a pretty shocking statement for a Catholic bishop, let alone a cardinal to make. What do you make of it, Mike? Well, you know, when I first saw this headline and this quote was the headline for certain outlets, uh, Catholic News Agency, which is owned by EWTN um, and their Spanish counterpart, ACI Prensa. Um, obviously, with no context whatsoever, this is an extremely shocking statement for a cardinal to make. First, I want to give a little bit of background on Bishop Aguiar. Um, he is an auxiliary bishop, but he was just named a cardinal when Pope Francis named the list of new, the 18 new voting cardinals and 21 altogether. He's only 49 years old, but he is the auxiliary bishop of Lisbon and their um, patriarch or cardinal um, Technically, it's the Archbishop, but in Lisbon, they call it the Patriarch. He is, I believe he just turned 75 a few days ago. Um, and so the thinking is probably that he will be elevated to that position. But also, uh, he was rewarded by Pope Francis, I think, because he's been the coordinator of the Lisbon World Youth Day, which is coming around in a couple of weeks. Um, and our contributors, Claire, uh, Claire Navarro Dominguez and uh, her husband, Pedro Gabriel, will be uh, at World Youth Day. Um, now, in terms of this interview, these obviously they didn't provide a link to the original interview, which was in Portuguese. The interview took place three or four days before he was named a cardinal. Um, it was done with a secular television station. Now, one thing you have to realize is that in the city of Lisbon and in the country of Portugal, which is historically a Catholic country, putting together an event like this is a national civic event. Um, and in that sense, it's not just something that the church is coordinating or that, you know, only the local officials will care about. So it's, it's a big event in the media altogether. And so basically to give a fuller context, the um, the television reporter was asking him, are non-Catholics welcome at World Youth Day? Uh, 
are you know how will they be treated what's going to happen for for world youth day attendees who aren't catholic and essentially he said that everyone is welcome to world youth day it's an opportunity to encounter christ together but it's you know you won't have to worry about us converting you you know that's the basic idea um Obviously saying we don't want to convert the young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church doesn't come across well. So I think he could have phrased it a lot better. But even without the context, my my intuition was what he was referring to was proselytism versus mm -hmm. evangelization, which is um, a theme that first gained prominence in 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, Pope Francis was in Aparecida in Brazil where he gave a speech before their um before the the salem the latin american bishops conferences uh big council meeting which produced a document um they just call it the abaracita document but pope francis who was then cardinal jorge bergoglio was the head of the drafting committee for that document so he played a very prominent role at that meeting and during the um and during Pope Benedict's opening speech, he said that the Catholic Church does not do proselytism. The church grows by attraction. Now, what does this mean? Now, if you look up proselytism in the in the dictionary, it's just going to give, you know, say to try to convince someone of the truth of a religion. But in in this Catholic context that Benedict was referring to, and it's a theme that Pope Francis has repeated repeated multiple times since he was pope but it's the it's the exact same theme the idea of proselytism is to try to convince people to join the faith through argumentation uh through social pressure through coercion um against their conscience or better judgment maybe for the ends justifying the means exactly or maybe not against their their judgment but trying to sell them on on a deal um evangelization is to try to attract others to Christ, to spread the gospel. Um, the word conversion. Now, we'll say St. Francis Xavier was a missionary who went to India and Japan and converted a lot of people. We, When someone is responsible for helping someone else change religions, we'll say so-and-so converted so-and-so. But that's not really what's happening. For someone to have a true conversion, and all of us, whether we're baptized Catholics, lifelong Catholics, brand new Catholics, mm -hmm. we are all called to conversion. And what conversion is, it is an internal, personal encounter with Christ and allowing god to change our hearts that is the conversion how do i become more christ-like how do i become uh closer to god it's it's a very private moment it's a very individual moment and when we evangelize we're not converting somebody else mm -hmm. we are playing the role or filling the role that god has chosen for us to play in somebody else's journey of faith so we might help facilitate a conversion. We may be instrumental in a conversion, but the only person who can convert is yourself. You know, it's internal. 
So, I mean, that's a theological thing. People say that, okay, well, he's equivocating. He's blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's, that's a general principle. And if you've read Pope Francis closely, I don't think that Bishop Aguiar said it in a way. I mean, it was, you know, he walked right into it. Um, but he did clarify his comments in several mm -hmm. interviews. He spoke to the pillar, for example, he was talking about aggressive proselytism. Now, mm -hmm. here's the other thing. Other people have complained, well, what, you know, what else is World Youth Day if it's not to convert people? You know, young people come and they have a conversion. Non-Catholics, if they're invited, you know, what, what's the point? And, and he talked about dialogue. And Pedro Gabriel wrote an article recently talking about, well, what is interreligious dialogue exactly? Um, and it's, he actually went back into what uh, Pope Benedict has said about the role of uh, interreligious dialogue. This feeds right into Fratelli Tutti and Pope Francis's message, basically, and, and he used the image of the polyhedron, um, which probably confusing to some people, but it's basically one of those, you know, rather than a sphere that's perfect and uniform on all sides, it's got different kinds of edges and faces and corners and um, that kind of thing. And it, it, it has a, um, a very, a varied outward face. Um, but to get back to my main point, so what is, so what is interreligious dialogue in the vision of Vatican II, in the vision of Pope Benedict in the vision of Pope Francis. If our goal is not simply to persuade people to come into the Catholic faith, I mean, ultimately we we do pray for the conversion of, of the entire world, go and baptize all nations. But when we are collaborating or when we are sharing a positive experience or when we're working towards a mutual goal with somebody of another faith, we engage in dialogue. Um, and the vision that Pope Francis has is that, okay, you don't downplay your differences. You don't say we're all the same. People talk about this, you know, syncretism or indifferentism or not, not emphasizing that Catholicism is the church founded by Christ and we believe it contains the fullness of truth. All religions contain some truth. All people of goodwill share certain values. Um, so if we are together at World Youth Day, um, and there are people there that are not of the Catholic faith, maybe they're Protestant, maybe they have no religion, maybe they've fallen away from the Catholic Church, maybe they're non-Christians. Um, the idea would be to welcome them, to talk to them about their experiences, to share our own experience, to share our own views, um, take part in the activities, listen to the talks, take part in the prayer, and have an encounter with Christ. And one of the things, and Pedro points it out, is that this is an enriching experience. Curiosity, learning from others, talking to others, having dialogue with people that have different backgrounds, who have different religious experiences, who have different ways of uh, understanding God or, or communicating with the divine or um, expressing their faith. We can still learn from people. Maybe there's some things that are incompatible. Maybe there's some things we disagree with. Maybe maybe there's a little bit of uh, of quibbling, but we don't want to fly into a rage or do the hard sell or try to force them to become Catholic. Look, they came to World Youth Day. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, it's, it's, it's basically. I mean, if you've listened to anything the Holy Fathers have said from the podium, some of them have been beautifully like overt and confident and calling people into those relationships. So it, you're right in that grounding this back in the, the intent and the context of that conversation is, is reassuring people that this is not a massive baptism factory machine going into countries to just increase the population and so on. So let's um, speaking of talking to is anything else you wanted to share on that before we move um, into the next? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I just want to say that it, it didn't surprise me the timing of this that came out. I, I don't think we spoke. Did we speak about the kissing book? with Archbishop Fernandez last week. You I and think... I didn't, but I chatted with um, Paul over on the other podcast. Okay. So we kind of skipped over that. Um, but it seems that one thing after another, after another, this crop of Cardinals, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure something about another one of these Cardinals will come out today. Maybe, maybe uh, Bishop Stephen Chow of Hong Kong. He was just named a Cardinal. Um, I'm sure they've got a lot of goods on him or, you know, that this is a compromise with the Chinese or something like that. There's, um, you know, you, you just go down the list. They're going, and this is one of the annoying things. It's just one thing after another. You do you debunk one rumor or one accusation. Um, the people who heard the accusation somehow they never hear about the uh, they never hear about the clarification. I mean, I don't know how many people have come to me. You know, when I've explained the Amazon Synod and the, you know, the prayer service that it wasn't Pachamama. They weren't worshiping Pachamama and the retort Mm -hmm. that I get back inevitably from people who disagree with me is, but the Pope said it was Pachamama. Okay. Well, are you aware that the Pope clarified an hour later and explained why he used the term because everybody was calling it Pachamama. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is kind of behind the scenes where Peter is Intel but the word had caught on so much that yeah. when Pedro and I would be talking about it, I would say, hey, Pedro, how's that Pachamama article coming along? And Pedro would say, oh, I just finished the Pachamama article. Everyone was calling it that. It didn't. Mm-hmm. The word was just because the figure didn't have a name. It was just a statue. It was just a carving. Anyway, but that's probably a good lead into our second Yeah, so speaking of, of, well, controversy, I guess. <laughs> I was going to go with speaking of communicating with the divine or talking to God, but let's go with another controversy. Last week, the Catholic Bishops Conference, this is over in the Philippines, they issued a clarification regarding the posture of the laity during the recitation of the Our Father during Mass. So on the matter of whether the faithful should keep their hands folded during the prayer, or if it's permissible to lift up their hands in the orans position, or to join hands with others, bishops of the Philippines said both gestures are liturgically accepted. So what's the story behind well, what's the story behind this controversy and why is the clarification needed? And does it affect us, let's say, over in North America? Well, I mean, I think it, it uh, generally points to a matter of liturgical debate in this country. Um, mm-hmm. People who tend towards the more uh, traditionalist side. I mean, the history, obviously, during the Latin Mass, when, you know, it, before people even gave responses, um you know, people would just stand there with their with their hands folded. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, when the dialogue mass occurred, and I think there was maybe permission from Pius XII to allow the laity to uh, participate in the Our Father in Latin, um, 
later on it became, uh, you know, the mass was in English and the entire congregation with the priest uh, would recite the Our Father. Mm -hmm. um, obviously the growth of the ecumenical movement, the Catholic charismatic renewal. Um, there were other, there were people who were praying, uh, there are, you know, various prayers with their hands up, especially the Our Father. I mean, One there of the there things, are multiple cultures as well yeah. throughout history where this is like, I think the Hebrews would do this as well. We've seen yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, the hands folded is, it, you know, very pious, very devout. It's obviously a Western thing, you know, Latin. I mean, the Latin, right, Catholic Church, mm -hmm. not very touchy-feely. We published an article about the kiss of peace, which was a thing, a big thing the first thousand years of the church and this i mean this is is shocking and scandalous to some people but at the sign of peace quote unquote mm -hmm. the men and the women would be segregated in the in the early church mm -hmm. and at a certain point it was like it the the rubrics of the mass said and they exchanged the kiss now apparently this was a full-on mouth-to-mouth kiss mm -hmm. between the men on one side kiss each other. The women on the other side kissed each other. Um, yeah. The scripture says, "Greet one another with that, a that, yeah. greet one another with a holy kiss." Mm -hmm. um, the article that Father Tim Kelly wrote talks about how uh, it was kind of changed to a kissing paddle or board that would be passed around. Uh, <laughs> sort of this, yeah. and you know, it was sort of a question. I mean, obviously, there are taboos in different cultures about who kisses whom, mm -hmm. um, and. But it, so it's it's one of these things where where the church became uh, in the Middle Ages and then and then the Council of Trent and then the the, the Counter Reformation, mm -hmm. um, the fact that the the priest recited the prayers with the servers and then the people mm -hmm. were present. You know, you could say that that it was a way of assisting or joining their prayers with the priest. But um, you know, after Vatican II these other gestures started to take hold and for whatever reason a lot of catholics and i've read a lot of articles on the internet a lot of blog posts why you shouldn't hold hands during the our father or why mm -hmm. the oran's position is inappropriate during mass for the laity like it's a priestly position of course we're baptized priest prophet and king i grew up in the hands folded tradition um, if I'm at mass, we're at a parish where people tend to hold hands with the other parishioners. Fine. You want to grab my hand? Let's, let's do it. Things that people are taught is, uh, to mimic the priest, whether it's stand up when he does or sit down when he does or kneel when this happens. Um, and so it's, it's a gesture that to me says that when people, when people do it, that this is not just any part of the mass. This is the, the prayer that the Lord taught us. And therefore, and I mean, people do it when, when nobody else in the church is making this gesture. Um, but they feel compelled to make this gesture as a sign that this is an important prayer and mm -hmm. that they're going to focus on it. Now, some, you know, some people just stand there and say nothing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's about intention. It's a widespread practice in a lot of places. And, and honestly, it's, it, it just doesn't seem like that big a deal. So I'm, I'm happy that the um, Philippines bishops have done it. I know uh, Jimmy Aiken and, and Catholic Answers have provided articles mm -hmm. in the past where they said, you know, they're really in the, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, it doesn't say anything about what the, what the congregation does with their hands. 
during this part of the mass. So uh, to me, it doesn't seem like uh, the end of the world. And I'm not terribly concerned that. Uh, so uh, then why do you think it is such a controversy? Well, I think people like to look at other people in the congregation and um, make judgments. I mean, you hear about, oh, nobody dressed up at this parish or how did they let that kid, you know, we published an article recently about uh, by Christy McCabe uh, and it, it told this little funny story about how they were, you know, she lives in, um, in Kentucky and they were driving all the way to the East coast uh, to go to the beach. And they left really early in the morning on a Sunday. And I guess using masstimes.org or whatever they timed that they would arrive at a mass at a certain point. And when they finally got there, they'd pack the kids in the car at like four in the morning. And so when they pull up at this church, mm-hmm. their son goes, I can't go to church in pajama pants because they had just put them, you know, they had just packed them up like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a cute little story, you know, Jesus is happy you're here. And, um, you know, obviously the son had been, their son had been taught that you should typically dress appropriately for mass or he wouldn't have made that comment. Mm-hmm. And, um, yet, a lot of the comments we received were criticizing the way that her son was dressed for that, that one particular mass and that extraordinary situation. I mean, I, I can imagine that they would have had to go back through their luggage and pull something out in the parking lot and where could they change? And I, I mean, it just, it just strikes me as, as people seem really, really concerned about other very people's small things, very yeah. small things that other people are doing. And I think that that, so why did the conference or not the conference? Why did the bishops then need to uh, make a clarification? And again, well, why my it guess matter is much that for North America. Well, so I, I, my experience is that in a, in a lot of, yes, it's complained about in North America. And my guess is that a lot of people were complaining about it in the mm-hmm. Philippines and mm-hmm. the, it came to, you know, this controversy came to the bishop's attention and the bishops basically responded by saying, stop making this an issue. Both of them are reverent. Both of them uh, are valid. The church doesn't say you need to do X, yeah. Y, or Z with your hands. I mean, you know, you hear this in a lot of, in a lot of parenting advice uh, where people say you need to feed your kids raw milk or you know, something like that, which is very dangerous, by the way. Um, but people become very busybody busybodies and they become proselytizers for things that aren't really a big deal you know we mm-hmm. we're all here we all love god um we all believe in the words of the lord's prayer we are all here uh mm-hmm. together as a catholic community and we believe in the eucharist and and the real presence so it, it just strikes me as um I occasionally like to see when a when a petty argument is settled in such a, a definitive, <laughs> definitive or official way. way. <laughs> yeah, speaking of petty arguments, so you put a post up on your Substack, and it was called "Rules for Trolls," um, and the subheading was "Let's make the Twitter experience better for both of us." And it's a tongue-in-cheek thirteen-point list, and you got an appendix. And I just read it before this recording, and it's hilarious. Um, it's it's a list of ways you and the trolls on Twitter can make your coexistence a, a more worthwhile experience um, for, for both well, you and the people harassing you. Okay. So why, what, what brought that about? Okay. So recently I hit 
uh, 10,000 followers on Twitter, which is amazing. Like I, you know, it basically I, more than I could dream of it's really increased traffic to our website. One of the main reasons why I, I even started on Twitter was to really address these issues surrounding the faith, to -hmm. share the faith, to help explain Pope Francis. Um, Let me put up the, the image that I, that I um, associated with it. Uh, Let's see if that pops up. That that's an AI generated image of a troll for those who, Mm -hmm. who aren't, uh, aren't listening. Looks like a a medieval manuscript (laughs) on the podcast. For those of you watching. Yeah. So yeah, I told the, the AI software to, um, to make it look like a medieval illuminated manuscript. And and I thought it did a nice job, but so here's the thing along with a little bit of notoriety. Now I don't Mm -hmm. consider it fame. I don't consider it certainly isn't lucrative. Um, (laughs) What I do, if I wanted Mm -hmm. to make money, I I should definitely have chosen another field of work rather than uh, defending Pope Francis in the environment of the U S Catholic church. Um, but one of the things that I've been, and it, it used to really upset me, was uh, people who clearly hated me or wanted to say something mean to me or were lobbying were lobbying insults at me, mm-hmm. people who hadn't read my articles, people who were making accusations about me. Um, and at a certain point, and I don't know why, you know, I, I don't use foul language. I don't use... You know, somebody somebody called me scum recently. You know, I don't I don't say things about people like I don't say you're dirt or you're yeah, a monster. Yeah. I, I don't, well, not just that, but to dehumanize someone. I, right. I'll say that was, you know, an uncharitable thing to say or mm-hmm. you are acting like a jerk <laughs> in my lower <laughs> moments. Um, but I don't say you you are a jerk. I don't say right. you are garbage. People call me that hmm. people make fat jokes. People, uh, you know, will and like they level all of it at where Peter is and the rest oh, yeah. of your team as well. It's incessant. I've, I've followed you for two years and you're right. It's a, I mean, they'll, storm take, constantly. they'll take my face and they'll Photoshop it. They'll, I mean, you know, just some of these things, they'll call me evil. They'll call me a heretic. They'll call me a leftist. I mean, um, just looking at a couple of these, like I'm just a gentleman named Wesley, uh, five days ago, just, uh, you know, he just tweeted, Mike Lewis is fat, so his opinion doesn't matter on anything. Another person, this is an older one. Lewis is the most vile, disgusting thing I've come across in a while. Uh, you know, another one from some somebody named Dave was, and he's, you know, jabbing at you a little bit. He says, how cringe is the Pope Francis generation? Anyone that WPI has inspired to convert from Catholicism to Mike Lewis's effeminate homosexualist, abortionist, Marxist faith that literally worships Bergoglio should be ignored outright. Bergoglio literally has blood on his hands. Like this is daily. People, I'm like, you kiss some... your mama with that mouth or you're, <laughs> I know. you're taking Christ with that mouth. Yeah. Um, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, people say teenagers in their mother's basements, you know, the incels, yeah. Um, mentally ill people, whatever, but it just, um, a controversy recently, not even a controversy, but a, a fairly prominent Catholic author and academic tags me in a post about Leslie Van Houten. She's 
if you don't know who she is, she was one of she was a member of the Manson family. She okay. took part in the the second murder, um, home invasion and murder. Uh, she was sentenced to seven years uh, to life, um, and she was just paroled about a week ago uh, after fifty three years in prison. She's seventy four years old. She has. Wow renounced her affiliation with Charles Manson. I mean, it was a lot of um, deprogramming. I mean, she was, she was, when she did the crimes and during her first trial, she was tripping on LSD. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, obviously what she did was wrong and she was, she had to be, you know, she had to pay the price for what she did. And she took the lives of two innocent or took part in taking the lives of two innocent people. She wasn't mm-hmm. the, the main assailant. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had over 20 parole hearings. Now the court Mm -hmm. sentenced her, you know, to be eligible for parole after seven years. Mm -hmm. She had over 20 parole hearings twice because of her good behavior. And because she had, uh, you know, showed remorse for the crime twice, the parole board recommended that she be paroled twice. It was blocked by the, by the governor of California, once by Jerry Brown and once by um, the uh, current governor, uh, Gavin Newsom. And um, finally, the third time, they decided to give her parole. Uh, obviously, she has requirements to, you know, to meet. She has to meet with the parole officer. She, you know, the, there are restrictions on her movement. There are still restrictions on her freedom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, apparently the fact that um, Pope Francis said that life without parole is without the possibility of parole is is wrong um i was at fault for her being released after 53 years hundreds of people liked this tweet hundreds of people or dozens of people commented about me Mm -hmm. um and what an idiot and a heretic i was or how nothing i say is worth listening to or you know the, the first tweet about my weight. I mean, it was just, it was so bizarre Mm -hmm. that I decided to just, okay, everyone who liked this tweet, I'm just going to block them. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I spared a few people because they weren't anonymous, but everyone who was anonymous who liked that tweet, it's like, and, and, and one of my, um, one of my, one of my guidelines, I wrote a list of 13 guidelines was basically like, if I happen upon a tweet that says Mike Lewis is really stupid or Mike is an evil heretic and it has 135 likes, mm-hmm. I might very well go down the list and block everyone who liked it. If you want to remain a troll in good standing, avoid <laughs> liking tweets like that. And, you know, other things like, yeah. um, you know, I think that. Uh, so. I compare it to weeding a garden. Let's face it. If you're anonymous and you're liking tweets by crazy people who hate me, I think it's fair to say we probably won't become friends anytime soon. So let's not prolong the inevitable, you know? And, and so I have all these, you know, so basically I was thinking like, how do I'm going to live with the trolls forever, but let's make it a little better for both Mm -hmm. of us, you know, at the next troll plenary meeting or whatever it is that you guys do to to coordinate you know all jumping on the same person maybe discuss two to three comments per post um maybe limit it to five trolls 
per tweet and you know if other trolls seem to have the mm -hmm. ad hominem attacks and the and the uh you know crazy yeah, vary it up questions show some creativity people yeah show creativity don't use the same talking points but if other trolls have that tweet under control just wait until the next one you know because if there are only four or five trolls i'm I, i'm not going mm -hmm. to you know block you guys but if it's profane or if it's out of hand if it's more than i can handle yeah then i might have to to impose some uh then i might have to impose some some measures so, so um on a on a more serious level i think a helpful takeaway especially given just how twitter what twitter is known for a, a more helpful takeaway that i'm hearing is um nobody how would you say this nobody has the right to demand your time and attention they can they can invite it they can engage with it but especially if they're acting like a troll, they don't have uh, the right to demand your time and attention. Well, and that's that seems to be something that that a lot of them like to do. They they yeah. like to demand a response. And and one of the things that happened when I, you know, did the uh, mass blocking, there would be people replying like, "Oh, Mike Lewis blocked me for no reason," or you know, <laughs> he has a thin skin, or Mike Lewis wouldn't answer my questions about this, this, or that, or mm -hmm. Mike Lewis couldn't take it that I was right and he was wrong. And it's, you know what? It's really the one of the key reasons why I started, why, why we started where Peter is, was because we'd be asked the same question over mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. Why, you know, a perfect example is, well, Pope Fran Francis said it was Pachamama. Well, you know, I'm not going to respond to that question every single time someone asks it. We've got about six articles that are there. They're permanent. They're not going to be lost in someone's Twitter feed. Go to where Peter is. Mm -hmm. if you want to know my opinion. If you want to know what we have to say about a controversy and stop making the same attacks and asking the same questions over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We are not a, uh, it's not our job to do your homework for you right. um, on an individual level. We, we try to clear up controversies the best we can. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we can't, then, then it's not going to be on where Peter is, or maybe no one had an interest in it. But I right. think, you know, I know they're going to exist forever, but I, I sort of thought this would be a helpful way to put things into perspective and also to, kind of demonstrate how real this is like it's mm -hmm. i mean that there's an unfun there's a a non-humorous element to it obviously um right. i wrote a very personal article in america magazine back in 2020 about my relationship with my mother mm -hmm. i tried my best to honor her uh you know my siblings voted about whether or not i could put it forward um i basically you know that the long story short, she had watched a lot of EWTN and talked to a lot of friends who were critics of the Pope, and she became very, very anti-Francis. She had never read anything by him. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't pick up Amoris Laetitia and read it. She heard that he was pro-adultery. She yeah. never read where Peter is. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just very hurtful that anytime we brought up the faith, my mother would um talk about how how much of a heretic or how terrible a pope pope francis was mm -hmm. you know she'd bring it up and as she's dying we can't even talk about religion anymore 
we, you know, which I mean, for a Catholic, you know, when my dad was dying, it was a, it was an, it was a religious experience. When my grandparents died, it was a religious experience. It was about prayer. It was mm -hmm. about talking about God. It was talking about the eternal. And the fact that the person who, who's most responsible for teaching me my faith, mm -hmm. that I couldn't have a conversation with her without bringing up mm -hmm. this issue was, it was a very hurtful thing. And, you know, people tweeted horrible things about, you know, how I was, how I betrayed her, how, you know, she's ashamed of me, how she's, um, I mean, just really, I mean, certain pretty harsh attacks and um, really, really gun gut punches because I was trying to respond. Well, no, like, how dare you do this? And I said, you know, why would you write such a horrible hit piece? Of, it's like, if I wanted to, and I just say this generally, everyone has parents. If I wanted to write a hit piece about my mother, I could have really written the hit piece. Um, sorry, my phone rang. Uh, anyway, so I, I, you know, I get worked up about this, but it's I've developed a thick skin since then. Um, well, it's been very intensely personal, and I've watched you kind of navigate this, and you've fired back. You know, out of there have been some moments where you've got, you know, the heat has got the better of you. But you've always apologized or retracted, and but you always found a, a, the fine line between either not feeding the trolls or uh, never attacking people, you know, in their persons. Um, you're strong and you're confident about, you know, finding ways to talk about ideas that, you know, you're very convicted of and things that you think are true. But I've always appreciated you'll never act, never go after a person, which is what the the trolls, it's what they thrive on. And when you block them or don't pay attention to them, uh, they just, their narcissism just cannot abide the fact that, so anyhow, it's a fun article. I hope people give it a read. We have included the link in the description. Um, it's got a couple of nuggets of some good advice in there. And then there's some tongue in cheek just to make it worth the read. So thanks for the debrief, Mike. This was a, a good week. As I said, available links to all of the things we discussed are in the description. This conversation is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's the uh, free online community that we're building for millennials, creators, and learners. And you can join a private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com uh, to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. And today, uh, you can watch the latest episode of the Pope Francis Generation starring Dominic Souza and uh, <laughs> Paul Fahey. So. And it's probably got our guest, uh, Liz Hansen, I think, yes. is the one that just landed. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, please hit the subscribe button and do smash that like button. It's going to help more people to find out about this show and uh, follow the debrief on the Where Peter Is YouTube channel. And uh, please support Where Peter Is on Patreon to help us continue providing quality content like this. Thanks for joining us, friends. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you. God bless.